Imagine 40 million people as the Church of Christ making known the multifaceted wisdom of God to the powers and principalities ruling over South Africa daily. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler and together with my wife, children and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. How's everyone doing? You guys well? Did you have a good time? God's presence? His presence didn't leave, but we had a great time. Sure. They may just ask me, can't we just keep doing that? <laughs> That's good. We had a we had a wonderful uh, praise party on uh, when we celebrated the church's anniversary birthday. That was wonderful. Well, we can probably do that more often, right? Amen. Extended praise and worship. It's always great. Thank you so much. What a privilege it is to to be here. What a privilege it is to be a part of what God is doing in and through Love Key Church. And thank you for being here. Thank you for, for being part of it. I know that some people are already on holiday or have left, um, but I want you to know we're going straight through all the way to New Year's, the 31st, we're going to have a service as well. So please come and if you can, join us for all these services the next three Sundays and then also for New Year's, uh, Old Year's Day, New Year's Eve Day, what do you call it, the, the last day of the year. That's going to be a Sunday as well. So, uh, and I've got some great news for the setup people. Next Sunday we can set up and leave it up. Wow, that's amazing. So I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm trusting God for, uh, you know, on top of the great gift of Jesus Christ, obviously the best gift ever. Um, if, he, if he would think about blessing us with a gift of our own venue in the new year, amen? No one else, just me? Anyway, okay. <laughs> We're trusting God for that. I think after all those um, highlight videos, people are going to think that is our church. Uh, who knows? Let's see. But uh, awesome. Uh, I just want to quickly remind everybody that all our messages that we've ever done, but especially the series this year, is available on our podcast and on our YouTube channel. So please go and subscribe and like and, and share that with other people. And if you have the time, please write a review. It just helps us to reach more people if people do that. So the more subscribers, the more reviews, the more people we reach with the messages. So it's also a way of, of uh, evangelizing, if you will. Um, all right. And then also, if you want to follow along on the YouVersion Bible app event today, you can do that. We have that um, on today. You'll see if you go there, there's a lot of scripture. <laughs> so we're going to go through a lot of scripture today. We're going to have, we really listen to God's word. Let us pray as we start. Father, I praise you, I honor you, and I worship you with all that I am. I'm so aware of how much I need you, of how much we all need you. We are completely dependent on you. Lord, we lay down any of our own will. We lay down any sense of thinking we know better. And we lay down every cultural preconceived idea. Everything that is not of you, we ask that you remove it right now. And that you speak to us directly to our spirit man that you created and that you want to commune with. We open ourselves up and say, Lord, we are good soil for the seed of the word of God. And everyone says, amen. When you say amen, you say, let it be. Let it be so. So if you say amen, it will be so. It's a, a prayer of agreement. It's a saying of agreement. All right, so the series we're starting off today is a short one, three, and it's called God's Why. God's Why. I'm going to tell you a bit more about that just now. And today our message is entitled, In the Beginning, or as we hear here locally, In the Beginning, in the beginning. Um, so we are going to kick off this series. And then we've got two more messages next week. The message title is Do Not Be Afraid. We're going to talk about Mary and Joseph's encounters with the angels and how that impacted their lives. And how every time God shows up, 
and we are overwhelmed, he says, do not be afraid. And what does that mean to us today? And how is it part of this story? And then on the 24th, just before the Christmas day, we're going to talk about how the word became flesh. All right. So as we kick off today with God's why, this term has become quite a famous term. And it was made famous by a guy, as far as I know, called Simon Sinek. He's a motivational speaker. He's someone who goes to massive companies and speaks to huge Fortune 500 companies and motivates people and teaches them about leadership and all these things. And, and his big thing that he partly also shares with them is that it's, it's important for you to not just know what you're doing and how you're doing it, but why you're doing it. And if you understand your why, so this, this has become the phrase, is do you know your why? And do you know your why? And, and so I thought, have any of us ever thought about, well, what is God's why? Why did he create? Why did he create man? And why did Jesus, his son, have to come in human form to earth? Why? And if you ask most Christians, they will have some form of an answer, at least I hope so. Um, I have asked some people who say they believe, so why do you believe in God? And, and then you start asking them, well, but, but why do you believe that? And why did God do that? And then they, then they start going like, uh, 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 I don't know. <laughs> and what I find is that very few Christians can really explain the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. And as we draw near to the end of this year, the whole world, or most of the world, is focusing in on this moment where we think of, we remember, we at least are partially aware of the fact that Jesus Christ was born. And even if you don't believe, you have to acknowledge that his birth changed the whole world. If you don't know, just look at a calendar. What is most of the world's calendar based on? Before Christ, after Christ. Amen? So, he has impacted the world, and we are going to look at why this is, why this happened. So in a, in, a, in a way, this series will be a gospel message, but it's one that I believe we're going to go a bit deeper, and I'm trusting God for massive revelation on the, on the inside of all of us, because I know I'm talking here to people who've walked with God for a long time, all the way down to people who've maybe recently gotten saved, or the revelation of what it means to follow Jesus. So I'm hoping that this will bring us all together in a way that we will have a greater understanding of God's heart, His why. Amen? Can you get excited and look excited about it? Okay, great. <laughs> All right. So, as we explore this question of what's God's why, I also want to leave this with you. The why behind why you're a Christian. If someone asks you straight up, do you know what's answer? And if you're not a Christian, why not? If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, why not? What has he ever done to you? <laughs> Sound like Craig Rochelle at the GLS. But we, these are good questions to ask and to wrestle with. So we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to break this open to us. Okay. I want to start off with a scripture from the New Testament that sort of, in my, in my mind, sets, a, sets this up. And then I'm going to share a whole bunch of scriptures with you today because the word of God is powerful. It's a two-edged sword that cuts through bone and marrow. It is the word of God himself. And the word says that Jesus is the word. So when we read the word, Jesus is speaking to us, all right? And I believe my job today is to, to help us all to read these scriptures that maybe we've heard many times before, but that it'll be a fresh revelation to your spirit being. And that God will start revealing something about who he is and why he has done what he has done. Amen? All right, so we're going to start with Ephesians 3 from verse 8. And I'm going to call this heading the fellowship of mystery. Not the fellowship of the rings, but the fellowship of the mystery. Because that's what Paul writes here. In Ephesians 3 from verse 8, it says, 
To me, who am less than the least of the saints, of all the saints, this grace was given. So I've been given a task that I should preach among the Gentiles, in other words, the non-Jewish people. What should I preach? The unsearchable riches of Christ. But not just that. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning, let, let up, the beginning, from the beginning of the ages, has been hidden, where has it been hidden? In God, who created all things, through what? Through who? Jesus Christ. Can you say all things? Through Jesus Christ. Now, to the intent, he's literally saying why? To the intent that now, so he's talking about the, the time that he is in. Jesus has come, he has died, he's been resurrected, he ascended, the Holy Spirit came, and they are now discipling the world. Now the manifold wisdom of God, the many facets of God's wisdom, uh, might be made known, listen to this, the manifold wisdom of God, this is the intent, that the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God, be made known by who? The Bible. The Holy Spirit. The church. Yes, by reading the Bible and by being led by the Holy Spirit, but who is supposed to make this known? The church. To the what? Listen to this. To the people of all nations. No, actually, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal purpose. Planned from the beginning for all time. That which he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. In whom, in Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. How many bold, confident Christians do you see walking around, speaking to the spiritual realm, making known the manifold wisdom of Christ, of God himself? How many? You should do this. Look at me. I'm doing it. Right? How many do you see? Hopefully when I look in the mirror, I see at least one. 78% of people in South Africa say, I'm a Christian. Okay, that's about 40 million people. Imagine 40 million people as the church of Christ making known the multifaceted wisdom of God to the powers and principalities ruling over South Africa daily. That's what the Bible says is God's plan. It's his why. In this New Testament scripture, Paul reveals God's why. And that it has been hidden as a mystery. Where has it been hidden? In God. Who do you think can find that? <laughs> it's the ultimate game of hide and seek. God's like, I have a mystery. Where is it hidden, God? It's inside of me. Who do you think can find that? Only if God allows, makes a way. Come on, church. This is good. But now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to God's eternal purposes. What? This should blow your mind. This should make you go, whoa, I need to fast and pray and go away for a week and just meditate on these verses. What does it mean? How does it change my life? How should I look at being a Christian? So, what Paul is saying, in order for the church to make the manifold wisdom of God, his mysteries known to the spiritual realm, we need these next five things to be in place. First of all, the church actually has to have a relationship with God. So before I know the manifold wisdom of God, I actually have to know him. 
Just take this to a human level. If you wanna, how will you know how wise someone is unless you have a relationship and listen to them and spend time with them? And how will you ever get to the depths of their wisdom if you don't spend a lot of time with them, amen? So firstly, for this to be true, the church needs to know God. Then they need to receive and understand the mystery. So you can hear the mystery, but it might just be mental ascent and not settled in your spirit being. So there needs to be understanding of the manifold wisdom of God. Then the church has to believe and understand that there's a spiritual realm. So it's one thing to believe there's a God that he has now spoken to me and said, these are my, this, this is what you need to make known. But then I, if he says, make it known to the powers and principalities in the spiritual realm, and I don't believe that there is a spiritual realm, we have a problem. Would you agree? then the church should know that it can operate in the spiritual realm. Not just that it exists, but that I can operate in that realm. And some of you are going like, this is weird, this is different, I've never heard this, how is this possible? This is what the Bible teaches. Okay, if you know there's a spiritual realm, just nod. Okay, if you believe that it exists, just nod. Good. If this freaks you out a little bit, you can also nod. All right, a little overwhelmed, all right. And in the fourth place, uh, fourth, we need to know we can operate in it, not just operate, but operate with authority. And then fifthly, the church then actually makes known the mysteries to the powers and the principalities. Where else do you hear these words? Powers, principalities. Ephesians 6, which comes a few chapters after this part. He says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, rulers, hosts, wicked hosts in the heavenly places. All right. Now, I'm so tempted to, to start to open up something to you about what these principalities and powers are, but I'm, I'm on a journey of learning how big and how much more this is than we know, and I'm hoping that it'll start to break open to you. But I want you to know there's so much more going on in the spiritual realm than you think. And it, it is where from everything that's manifesting in our world is coming. So, in essence, what Paul is saying, what I believe he's saying, is that this is a declaration of war. A declaration of war because I am, as the church, as part of the church of Jesus Christ, I've been called, my purpose, God's intent for me is that I will stand here knowing God intimately, so intimately that he shares his wisdom with me and I know and understand his wisdom and now I'm aware that there is a spiritual realm with powers, principalities, rulers, rulers and hosts operating that are operating over nations, operating over areas operating in buildings and I can now stand in with authority in this spiritual place and I can decree and declare the manifold wisdom of God to these principalities in other words I can tell them you are not God there is only one God who is creator and he is all-powerful more powerful than you you have temporary access in this place, but he has all power, all access, all the time. And I'm gonna tell you more about my God and his manifold wisdom, amen? And that is how we don't walk into a place and take people on. We take the spiritual realm on as God leads us, amen? If you walk, have you ever walked into a place and you just felt, whoa, creepy, weird, I'm not, I'm not I don't feel welcome here. That is your spirit clashing with whatever is going on in that place. Ever get that rolling down your back? Like, whoa. Anyone have a mom that told them, don't hang out with that person. I get a funny feeling. Anyone? <laughs> Most of the time, that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Telling you about what's happening in the spiritual realm. Amen? We are more aware of it than we actually realize. But we want to give it names like Intuition. What if it's not intuition? God made you in his image and he's working through you and showing you what's actually happening in the spiritual realm. Amen? Come on. We were made for so much more. All right. So, literally this thing says mystery. It says the intent of God. It says that it's about 
his church, in other words, God's people, making known the manifold wisdom of God to the spiritual realm. And this mystery has been revealed. All right? So, with that in mind, with that sort of introduction, we are now going to go to our title for today, In the Beginning. And we're going to literally go to the beginning. We're going to start there because, you know, it's the very good place to start, as a famous song says. So Genesis 1 from verse 1. In the beginning, everybody say, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good, and God divided light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Now the next bunch of verses, we see the rest of creation and all the days that God is, and the days in which God is doing them. And then we go up to day six, where he's now done plants, he's done fish, and he's done crawling animals, everything on the face of the earth. And then he says in verse 26, then God said, let us make man, Adam, in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Everyone say dominion. Over the fish of the seas, the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Punt streep Then, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion, everyone say dominion, over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living thing that moves on the earth. What is God's why? In the beginning, he created everything and at the end, he created man. Every time finished creating something, he said, it is good. When he created man, he said, it is very good. It's like a guy who meets a bunch of girls. He says, this one's good, this one's, and then he meets the one he wants to marry. He says, this one's very good. I'm kidding. That's not even close to the same thing, but you get the idea. So with, because the Bible calls us human beings the crown of his creation. You are valuable. You are special. You've been made for a purpose. Don't let anyone tell you anything else. We are living in a world where some people have more care for baby sea lions and puppies than they have for babies in the womb, which is messed up. But that is not what God has called us for. We are the crown of his creation. So in the beginning, God did this. Now, I don't want to go into a whole discussion about creation versus evolution. That's a whole different subject, and that's not our focus today. But I want you to know that I believe the Word of God is the Word of God, and I trust the Word of God. And if the Word of God says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, I believe that. If it says that He did it in six days, I believe that. If it says that He rested on the seventh, and there will always be a holy day, I believe that. And it's settled in my spirit. It takes faith to believe that. But it takes a whole lot of more faith to believe that there's billions of years and that it happened by accident. Really? Atheism is a great religion. Okay. <laughs> so, I want to read the next part as well. Genesis 2, we're going to read verse 7 to 8 and 15 to 18 and 21 to 25. Why? Because I want, you to, I want us to see what God intended for mankind from the beginning. It says, And the Lord God formed man in the, of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Can you see the intimacy? God is forming us with, our, with his hands. And when he breathed into him, he became a living being. At that point, I want to just 
make you notice that in chapter one, we see that God created man. In chapter two, we're seeing that God formed man. I believe if you read this together with uh, Psalm 139, Jeremiah 1, which says, Before I formed you, I knew you. Ephesians 1 says, I've chosen you before the foundation of the earth. If you read all of this together, we can know that first God creates your spirit being, and then he forms your physical body. Amen? Therefore, I also believe that when he says he made us in his likeness, in his image, that we are spirit beings is what that refers to. Amen? Because that's our essence of who we are. I do believe our physical being also shows something of that, but in essence, our spirit is what carries his image. The Lord, um, he breathed uh, his nostrils and breath of life and he became a living being. The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. So he put him in a garden for a purpose to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man. Notice, he commanded the man. The woman is not yet here. He commands the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. That word helper, the, the Hebrew word is um, which means military aid. Powerful word. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep. Sorry, the woman get excited. Yes. <laughs> military aid. We need you. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to damper your excitement over there. That's a whole teaching on its own. Come to a wedding that I do and you'll hear it. <laughs> And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And all the men say, hallelujah, deep sleep. And he, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in this place. Then the rib, with, the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, whoa, man. No. He said, he said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, listen to this, therefore, because of this, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This was God's original plan. This was his, this is what he did. This is how he did it. We're going to start talking about why he did it in a moment. First, like with any great story, there's a setup, and then there's conflict and drama. Are you ready for Genesis chapter 3? The whole chapter 3. <laughs> Because the, the Bible says it's so much better than I ever could. I can't paraphrase, but let's read the word of God together. Because this is written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready, church? Here we go. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of which, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, how would the woman know this? Because God gave this commandment to Adam. So how would she know? It's not hard. I'm just, just helping you connect the dots. The man must have told her. And look at this, guys. She listened. Did you pick up on that? She, she quoted the exact same words that God quoted to Adam. Imagine that. I'm just kidding. This is before the fall, guys. So the world was perfect. 
So the, uh, that's funny. So the woman is now confronted with a serpent-like animal, a snake. Now, I don't have time to go into it deeply, but what we have to know is that this was written by writers at a different time with a different worldview and access to different literature than we are. They had a old ancient Hebrew mindset and a view of how they looked at things. And the serpent was symbolic of that which is evil. So this is the tempter coming to her, challenging what God, who God is and what he said. And he's doing it by sowing doubt. And one of the, where his cunningness lies is in how he's using a half truth to catch her. Listen. God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so now she's been tempted. She knows she's not supposed to, but now she starts to what? Do what we all do. I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm going to keep looking at this and find ways to justify my next step. She looked at the tree and saw that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. I mean, how bad could it be? It looks good. She, and she took off the fruit and ate. Now, on that note, side note, for free today. It is not an apple. Nowhere in the text does it say it is an apple. So don't tell people she ate an apple. She ate a fruit. We're not sure what kind of fruit. But it are not an apple. I've heard conspiracy theories of people who say, you know, look at the apple products. There's a there's a hapa eat. Gaan al die pad terug na Genesis. Ontspan bode. Okay, so also I want you to see here. Let's go back to the God told man before the woman was created, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He had to tell her that. Now she knows. So the order of God is God in, in the perfect world before the fall. God's perfect order was I communicate with the husband, the husband communicates with the wife. And he tells her what God has said. You see that? What happened the moment that she ate the fruit? Repeat after me, nothing. Nothing happened. She also gave to her husband with her and he protested, said, no, we can't do it. No, there's just one comma and says he and he ate. I personally think she was holding the fruit here. <laughs> Which is very hard then to say no. <laughs> I'm kidding. Just a little bit of Bible humor. <laughs> then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew. They knew. Something changed. They knew that they were naked. What did the devil say? He said, you shall not die for a moment you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he was giving them a half-truth. Their eyes opened and they now knew something. They were naked. So sin, rebellion against God, the first ever effect of rebellion against God took eyes off of God and put it onto my body. Made it about me. Realizing I'm naked, I am vulnerable. Look at, or maybe I don't like what I'm seeing. It immediately did that, and sin will always do that. Take your eyes off of God and put it onto you. Nikki Gumbel says it this way 
You need to believe a lie or we believe a lie about God before we will take the forbidden fruit. So then both of the eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. God was walking. Can a spirit that you can't see walk? I believe that the fact that this was written the way it was with the mindset of the Hebrew writers of the day, that this was a physical manifestation of God hanging out with Adam and Eve and that this was a regular occurrence, they recognized the sound of God walking through the garden. So it must have happened before. Remember between him creating them and this happening, there was time between them and God. We don't know how long, but it was a beautiful time where they could be with him. So they knew that he was walking in the garden and they, they tried to hide from him. And then God said, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So we've got fear, we've got shame, we've got guilt. Everything has now come into this world. God says, who told you that you were naked? This is not information that you had. How did you come to this knowledge? And then God says, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman you gave me. (laughs) Isn't that just like us? The woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. But before I admit any guilt, I would just want to put her between me and you. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. So at least they're being honest, not before they throw someone else under the bus. So the Lord said to the serpent, so he's going through them. First he wants to know from the man. Then he hears from the woman. After the man, what did he do? He threw her under the bus doing what? Taking his responsibility. Not, not taking his responsibility. Passing the buck to the wife. And then God says, okay, you've now relinquished your authority to your wife, so I'll speak to her. And then she does the same thing. Relinquishes her authority to the serpent. So he speaks to the serpent. Then he says, because you've done this, you're cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. This is pivotal. Enmity means I will make enemies of you and the woman and the seed of the woman. This capital S for seed is a reference to Jesus Christ the Son of God. And between you and your seed, you, your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Can you see that husbands ruling over wives in this way came after the fall? There was a different dynamic before that. Yes, husband first, then the wife. We see that as well. But now God uses the word rule. Then to Adam he said, because you've heeded the voice of your wife. (laughs) Because you heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. So guys, there are times when you should not listen to your wife. (laughs) And God will be good with that. There are times, but I know many of many here will go, my wife is always right. But in this one moment, because she was presenting her husband with an act that was contrary to God's will, God is saying to the man, you listened when you should not have listened. 
You heeded her voice and you ate. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve. Look at that. First he called a woman because you were from me. Now it's changed. Adam is giving his wife a name, Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. What they wanted to use, the fig leaves was useless. It did not work. God gave them uh, tunics of skin. Where do you think God found the skin? <laughs> that would have been funny. The first animals had to be slaughtered. If you, if you read the whole account of, of Genesis, of the creation, first God said that only vegetation was for eating by humans and animals. No meat. This was the first time an animal was sacrificed. And one could see it maybe as an offering in a way. Then God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. Where did we hear this language before? He said, let us create man in our image. Now he says, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the, the Lord God sent out him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Wow. So how many of you have figured out that God said of all the trees in the garden you may eat except the one. That's the knowledge of good and evil. But there was also the tree of life. It's the only two trees that are specifically mentioned in Genesis. In other words, they were allowed to eat of the tree of life. How old did Adam become and Eve? Do you know? Over 950 years. Yo, <laughs> that's a long life. Why? Because before the fall, they ate of the tree of life. Before the fall, the plan was to live with God in intimacy in the garden forever. The plan was that you start with Eden. You tend this garden. You do this well, and then we take the rest of the earth. God's plan, his why, was to have this beautiful communion relationship with these creatures that he created in his own image to reflect his glory, to reflect his likeness, to experience his love because God is love. And so on this point, I need to just help you understand this. There's a very technical theological term called aseity or aseity. I know there's different pronunciations. A-S-C-I-E-T-Y. It means, it's the doctrine of God does not need, want anything. He is not insufficient in any way. He's not deficient in any way. He is perfect. He is God. He is, I am. He always was. He will always be. He needs nothing. Amen? That's the, what the doctrine says. So, God didn't need to create us. He didn't need to create the creation. He chose to create creation and to create us. And I want you to get this picture. Someone shared this and I thought it was quite powerful. That when you see a fountain overflowing, you don't think that there's something wrong with the fountain's source. So God is a fountain of life, of love, of grace. And he wanted to share this with creation, with us, as there's a, a great word, imagers of him. We are made in his image. We are imagers of Christ. We are to reflect his glory. We are to reflect his love. We are to see his glory, behold his glory, behold his love. And that is our reason for existence, amen? And in that, God said, I want, 
I want a family. And he created, if, if we go much deeper into this, you'll see that God created heavenly beings. There's references in Genesis, Deuteronomy, Psalms to the sons of God, to a council of God. And these are not just angels. These are an actual fact, the principalities, the powers that we read about in Ephesians 4 and 6. And they are set up to rule and reign over certain nations. But even the sons of God had at some point at Babel, they turned against God. I don't have time to go into all the detail. But that is where things started to shift and change. And this is what happens after the fall of man, okay? But let's get back. So, God has created man, he's created heavenly beings, and his whole heart is to rule and reign over his creation with the spiritual sons of God and the human sons of God. Can you see that? And so God's heart is family. God's heart is to do this together, to invite us into this picture. So when he created man and woman, and he, he had the garden, and he said, tend this, have dominion over everything that's been made. He wanted them to take what he has created and expand on that. Are you with me? Okay. That's important to understand. Now, how many of you know that when you, are, when you were born as a baby, you didn't know much? And, you, and up until a certain age, you have no idea what's right and wrong. Anyone? Any parents out there? You have to teach your child what's right and wrong. Anyone? Yes? Okay. So, now, imagine God created Adam, he created man, he created woman. Now they're in the garden. They are in this beautiful, intimate relationship with God. Do you think that from the moment they were created, they knew everything they needed to know to govern the earth, to subdue it, and to have dominion? from the start? No. They needed to spend time with God. They needed to start with a garden and see how that goes so that they can be put in charge of more. There's a biblical principle of the talents. How many of you know it? If I can put you in charge of little and you are faithful, I will put you in charge of much. All right? Now, when God says, when he says, okay, when he speaks again to the, to the godly council, he, he said, let us make man, and then he said, okay, whoa, we need to now, uh, behold, man has become like one of us. He's become like one of us. Has, did Adam and Eve in that moment, did they become gods? Did they suddenly have celestial spiritual bodies and they had no beginning and no end? No. So why would God say to the Trinity, maybe to the council of other gods, the sons of God, why would he say they've become like us, knowing good and evil? Because what happened in that moment when Eve decided after being tempted to take the fruit and eat it, what happened? She made a decision that I know better than God. And she decided that up until that point, I trusted God to know what is good and evil. I don't need to know what good and evil is. I listen to God and then I know. Do you think they had an idea of what's right and wrong? God said, don't do this. So they must have realized if I do that, it is against what God wants, so it is Wrong. So they must have had an idea of what's right and wrong. Are you, are you with me? Because she knew she's not supposed to do it. Adam knew he's not supposed to do it. So it wasn't a mental understanding of this right and wrong. It's a decision to go, I will from this moment on decide what is evil and what is good for myself. I will become God of me. Can you see that? 
So in other words, when she took the fruit and ate it, and Adam agreed by taking it, now the one flesh is now united in rebellion against God. They said, we will now do this ourselves. We will be gods. We will be like gods. Because we will decide for ourselves. And in that moment, God said, this cannot be, this cannot stand. That's why he said they have to leave and they cannot have access to the tree of life. Why? Because if they have access to the tree of life, they will live forever in sin and rebellion, which is a curse in itself. So God was not so much going like, oh, you're not welcome here anymore. He was going like, this is not good for you. I cannot have you living forever in this state. Are you following? I know this, this is a lot, but this is what's happening here. So they, once they took their eyes off of God as being their source of life, being their source of what is good and evil, and they put it on themselves, they were not ready for that. God was walking with them. He was training them. He was getting them ready to rule and reign and have dominion over the whole earth. But he started first with God. Now, I believe it's possible that part of God's heart was to reveal to them more and more of, of what they can handle at the right time, but they wanted it now. They wanted, no, I want to grab the fruit now. I want to know good and evil now. I want to be like God now. God as a father was like, you're not ready for that. How many of you are fathers in this house? You're like, your two-year-old is not ready for your sharp knife. How many of you know that? They're not ready to handle a firearm, I hope. They're not ready to drive a car. They cannot see over the steering wheel. It's not that you don't want them to drive. You just want, don't want them to drive right now. But when they have the maturity, the physical capability, then you will upgrade them to be able to do that. Can you see? I believe this is similar to God's plan. He had a plan for the man and the woman to rule and have reign and dominion over the whole earth. It started in a garden. Let's see what you do with this, my son. Let's see what you do with this, my daughter. But then they decided to rebel. And then God cursed them because of their rebellion. And the curse is where everything started to go skew. Now, we can ask, okay, so if God knew that this was gonna happen, why did he create us in the first place? Once again, it comes back to relationship. It comes back to a God who loves and wants to have intimacy with a family that he created. But I want you to see from these scriptures, I want to quickly read to you that that desire of him never went away. It stayed there. He says in Isaiah 43, verse 7 and 21, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. What's it? Why are we here? For his glory. Verse 21, this people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. We are made for his glory. We are made to praise him. I want to read to you Ephesians 1 as well from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world in the beginning. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself. According to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise and the glory of his grace. By which he had made us accepted in the beloved. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. That in the ages, why? That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ, for what? For good works, that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is why he created us, for works in him that he prepared long ago. Now how does Jesus fit into all of this? John 1 verse 1, in the beginning, 
It's the same way Genesis 1 starts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. That includes us. We were made through Jesus. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own. That's a sign of love, a sign of relationship. His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Powerful. Come on. And then, I want to share this. The very famous verse we hear all the time when it comes to the good news the why of Jesus himself. Why did Jesus come to be born in human form? Why are we celebrating the fact that Jesus came as a baby into this world? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Where does the world come from? In the beginning, God created the world. Jesus was in the beginning with God. Everything was created through Jesus. For God so loved the world that he created through his son. That the very son through whom he created it, he gave. So that none might perish, but have eternal life. Amen? How good is that? He didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light and his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God." What happened the moment that Adam and Eve sinned? They hid. They turned away from the light and they hid what they've done. This is exactly what it's talking about. Why does it say Jesus didn't come to condemn? He came to save. But those who do not believe in him are already condemned. Why? Because of the fall. Because of what happened in the garden. Because every person in their nature would have pulled that fruit down and eaten it in their own strength. Because they want to be like God. Because they want to say, I know better. I will decide what's right and wrong. I will decide what's good and evil. Look at the world we live in right now. People saying that evil is good and good is evil. Why? Because they've decided, I will be God of my life. Find your truth. It has not changed since the beginning of time. What is God's why? I want a family that recognizes I'm a God full of love, grace, and mercy that has the best intent for them. But they must stay close to me. They must, they must obey me because I have the best for them. And as they obey me, I will show them more. And I will show them more. And I will give them more dominion. I will give them more authority as they grow with me. But let them never not be on their knees before me. Let them never think that they are now God. Let them never think they've now arrived and can tell me what to do. Being like a God is nothing compared to being completely surrendered to the only God. Amen? I want to end with 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. What is God's why for creating man? And what is God's why for sending Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things, sin, brokenness, rebellion have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are 
of God who has reconciled us to himself because of the fall, reconciliation was needed. He has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So the ministry that he's given us to be reconciled with him, he's asked us now to pass on to others, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ. Amen? That is the why. That is what happened in the beginning and that is what God is still busy with. His church is there to make the manifold wisdom of God known to the unseen realm. Why? Because we can. Why? Because when we are in Christ Jesus, we are new creations. We are new creations ready to stand with confidence and boldness in the spiritual realm and change the atmosphere. Amen? That is who we are. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church Podcast, Message of the Week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.